welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On today's episode, I talk with Dave Clausen, who is the head coach of the Utica Pioneers women's hockey team. We talk about his coaching journey in Division Three women's hockey, go into detail on Utica University and the hockey program, and then Dave discusses playing D3 hockey and the recruiting process. This is a great conversation with Dave, so I hope you enjoy it. Before we get to today's amazing episode, I wanted to give you an update on Champs app. We now have over 80 college coaches with verified Champs app profiles, most of them from D1 schools, and we continue to add more coaches each week. Once you create your beautiful, free hockey resume on Champs app, you will have a personalized profile link to share with coaches and teams, or you can connect with team coaches directly within Champs app. Coaches not only learn more about you as a player, but they also get notified of your upcoming schedule, when you add videos, and where you are playing if you change teams. Just go to champs.app and click the sign up button to start or update your profile. If you want to learn more, look in the show notes for links to the list of college coaches using Champs app and videos about why and how to create your free Champs app hockey resume. I'm very excited to have on the podcast Dave Clausen, who is the first and only head coach in the history of the Utica University women's ice hockey program. Originally from Philadelphia, PA, he graduated from Hamilton College and then went on to coach at his alma mater, then Maine Maritime Academy and Bowdoin College before coming back to New York State to start the Utica women's program 24 years ago. In addition to coaching the women's hockey team, he is also the head coach of the golf team, both men's and women's, and a hockey parent. And not just a hockey dad, but a goalie dad, which we'll be chatting about. So welcome to the podcast, Dave. Hey, hey, how are you, Ray? Good. Great. Thanks for coming on. Um, we'll, let's start off like we do all our guests, talking about a little bit of your hockey history. Uh, I'm assuming you played hockey as, as a youth player and uh, maybe just go into how you uh, transitioned then eventually into coaching. Yeah, I think just like everybody in this in this world of hockey, you know, you grow up um, just in, in Philadelphia, um, at a at a pretty young age, became a huge uh, Philadelphia Flyers fan. I don't know, um, you know, if that's kind of how it starts for everybody. And then I had a next door neighbor who um, who was playing hockey for one of the local club teams where where we were um, in, in Northeast Philly, and and uh, so just started kind of all right. If if Josh is doing it, I want to do it. So I would go to the rink and and. Uh, Started with pickup hockey, started playing some club hockey. Probably didn't play on an organized team until I was 12. Um, jumped in late. Was kind of a big kid, pretty athletic. Um, so in those days, right, skating for goalies wasn't as big a deal as it is these days. Um, or at least when you're 12, it wasn't. So they said, guess what? You're goalie. Um, so I did that. Um, I loved it. It was, it was never my primary sport as a kid, but um, I always loved playing. Um, it kind of filled the winter months. I mean, back in the day when, when year round sports wasn't a thing, um, we played, you know, football or soccer in the fall, you played hockey or basketball in the wintertime. I think everybody played baseball or ran track. I don't think lacrosse was really an option for, for, for guys or boys when I was growing up. Um, although it looks like a lot of fun these days, um, you know, and then in the summers it was, you know, wiffle ball games and, and picnics and swimming and all that stuff. So. Um, so I had a lot of fun as a kid in sports. I had a, a father who uh, was a high school teacher and, and he was, uh, he did a little bit of everything. He coached football, was very, very successful, coached uh, a high school player that went on to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, 
several several football players that went to the NFL. Um, but he also coached golf. He was involved in track and field. Um, and then I think he ran the clock for basketball. Um, and then um, he did instruction in camps and stuff in the summertime. So he was kind of always hustling and going and, and coaching and working with kids. And that was always fun to be a part of and be around. Um, always wanted to kind of be like him when I grew up. So I uh, went to, to Hamilton College with the thought of doing two sports. Um, you know, I quickly kind of was put in a position where, hey, you're, you're really good at this one and you're only okay at that one. Um, so after my freshman year, it was you're going to be just a, just a, a football player, which I was in college. Um, but it also coincided with the start of their women's hockey program going from club to varsity my sophomore year. And due to some, some goofy things with head coaches being faculty at the time, they really didn't have a women's hockey coach. Um, and so I think they had a tennis coach coaching hockey. Um, and so like as a sophomore, me and, and, and one or two other students, um, who had been former hockey players at Hamilton ended up kind of running practices and getting the program going. Now we're talking like in the 90s, so different world from today. Um, but that was kind of my start. And then um, after college, I went into coaching. I thought I was going to coach football. My first stop, the athletic director said, hey, guess what? You have a little hockey background. You're also going to coach our club hockey team. Um, so I did that. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. Um, my second stop was Bowdoin after I graduated, uh, after, after Maine Maritime. Uh, same thing, went in to be a football coach. And um, guess what? You're going to be the assistant women's hockey coach here. Um, had a lot of fun with that as well. Um, and, and actually got to be part of a pretty good program there that the class that we recruited uh, the year I was there ended up going to four NCAA tournaments. Um, and then uh, the following year, just um through contacts and questions and people reaching out and saying hey is this something you'd be interested in doing there's this really you know good job in Utica um and so I I ended up here in Utica um and right. and, and so just before we get to uh, getting into the, the world in Utica um correct me if I'm wrong while you were at Hamilton College you you met somebody that seemed to end up being pretty important in your life while you were coaching is that is that correct yeah, yeah. My my wife was a was a hockey player at Hamilton as well. So um that kind of kind of worked out for us in the long run. Um she was a heck of a hockey player, certainly much, much better hockey player than I am. So anytime my daughter has success in hockey and people are like, wow, you know, I'm like, well, she she gets that from her mother. Her father was not the greatest player. Um, but uh I you know, I obviously I love the game. It's been a passion of mine for a very, very long time. Um and and always have been involved in it in it um but yeah it's it's fun my wife actually coaches my daughter's team um so it's a blast she'll come home and and complain about whatever and i'll just complain right back at her and say hey figure it out we got to get better um but it, it, it's good and and then you know the dynamic of watching my daughter and, and her and and their conversations about hockey and the team and um you know it it's it's a it's a really cool um hockey house and then we've got two boys and they're both going to play high school hockey this year um you know and they're both baseball players but you know it's just a it's a sports house my daughter plays soft in the off season we we just uh, we're always going there's always a game so um yeah I, I think you know the funny thing right is i met my wife first time ever on a hockey rink so, and, and it sounds like the impact of your dad um you know 
doing lots of sports uh, then has followed through to the next generation of everybody doing multiple sports, including you coaching multiple sports. Um, you know, you're, you're also, you know, a golf addict, as I understand it. So how did that happen on top of the football on top of uh, the, all the other sports that you played? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, like I said, in the summertime, it was just kind of you goof around and whatever. And golf was probably a little bit of that, you know, going to the public course and playing. I wasn't uh, a country club guy, but um, yeah, no. And and um, and then my wife as well. She was a two-sport athlete in Hamilton. So she was able to pull it off. She was a very good soccer player. Um, and then obviously, I think she's the all-time leader in points per game as a varsity uh, hockey player, Hamilton women's hockey. So um, so she was a pretty good athlete. Um and uh yeah i mean and, and it's just it's always been something you know like i mean last night you know monday night football we've got the eagles game on the cell phones we were at a baseball field at at 7 30 under the lights watching my youngest one play baseball so we just constantly constantly going but as a family like i couldn't imagine a better world of of sports all the time for entertainment it's so healthy um kids love playing um everybody's got great perspective so um, you know, and there's, there's not a lot of pressure. Nobody's, nobody's going to make a living in sports. So, um, we got a, a, our oldest one's trying to make a college decision right now. Um, and a hundred percent, you know, he's got a sport opportunity at all of the schools that are interested, but, um, he is, uh, you know, he's looking forward to, um, to figuring out the academic piece and what he wants to do with his life. So. Perfect. So we'll get back into that as we as we talk about uh, you know choosing the Division three route. Um, but let's let's talk about Utica. So Utica University, um, it's got about twenty eight hundred or so, twenty five hundred undergraduate students. Uh, well known for criminal justice and nursing, as I understand it. Uh, maybe just talk about the school and the academics because it's a pretty small school. Yeah, it's a great. It's a small school, kind of right on the edge of the city of Utica, which is really a small city. It's a, it's a neat neat space um town's kind of been going through a rejuvenation for years um it's really a, a beautiful place um obviously it's it's right down the road from where i went to college um my wife and i kind of fell in love with this area um so it was kind of neat to be able to get back here and and she works up on the hill again at hamilton and, and obviously me at utica so um so yeah i mean we're we're really happy in this area um the school it's a wonderful small private college um founded by syracuse in 1946 i think we split off in the early 90s um became our own small private school um so there's kind of a, a history there that's really cool of um you know world war war ii veterans kind of being like our first our first wave of students and um and some of that history and then uh, late 90s, after we split off, there was kind of a, a start of of a growing the athletic department as a small, pri you know, private D3. Um, so we added hockey, we added football, we added lacrosse, field hockey. Um, it's been an incredible growth. I think we're at 26 sports now as an institution. Um, academically, I think we spent a lot of time, I think the administration here, in, it, they do a fantastic job of really looking at majors and academic programs that put student athletes in um in, in, or students sorry students just in a great spot upon graduation they're either employable or have a have a path so our criminal justice cybersecurity, economic crime investigation programs are amazing i mean the fbi recruits on our campus and um our physical therapy and ot programs have been outstanding for years it's a there's a six-year doctorate program in in pt here which um you know, we've had some students on our, our program go through. It's certainly a challenging academic program. 
Um, you know, we've had kids pick that over Ivy League options. So, um, so it's been pretty good to us. Um, and then it's been really good to those, those kids once they've graduated. Um, you know, nursing is, is a really strong major here. We've got a great nursing, nursing program, nursing lab on campus. And then actually in a, in a week or two, um, they're opening up a brand new teaching hospital right across the street from uh, the Utica University Nexus Center. Uh, so there's some great opportunity there for kids that are on that path. But we've got we've got liberal arts, um, we've got you know graduate programs. I know I, I want to say, and I'm going to ballpark it because I don't know the exact number, but I think we're close to like 50 majors or academic programs that kids can study. So there's a lot of opportunity here um, academically, and then obviously with all the sports. Athletically, I think it's like forty percent of the student body comes in as uh, as athletes here. So that's what I, that leads me perfectly into my next question. With about forty percent of your student body also being athletes, um, is that part of the strategy for the school is to use sports as a way to attract high end, you know, high high achievers to the school? Yeah, I, I think um, you know. Again, that was Todd Hutton was our president in the '90s when we split off from Syracuse and. Um, I want to say enrollment was maybe 13, 1400 at the time, um, give or take, you know, going back a few years. Um, but one of his, his ideas for the growth of the college to kind of make us be able to stand on our own two feet and get us up to the 18 and then 2000, about 2200 undergrads was just, you know, to add some athletic programs to give not only the campus, um, you know, reason for students to come here with sports, but also, to give it, you know, a little bit of a campus life, right? So having football gives us something to do on Saturdays in the fall, right? There's tailgating on campus. It's it's a it's a fun environment. Um, hockey down here at uh, at the Adirondack Bank Center and the, and and the Utica University Nexus Center. I mean, our men for a number of years were selling out every single game, packed houses to capacity. Obviously, the HL saw what was going on there. And we're like, hey, we should throw a team in that building, and and they still get huge crowds. I mean, I think that we still sell out. Um, you know, and they're, they're averaging, you know, I think it's like 2,500 to, to 3,000 fans at every game, which is at a student, you know, you have more fans at your games than you have undergraduate students. It's a really, really cool environment. Um, you know, not just for the hockey players to play in that, but, you know, the student athletes to have something to go to, you can wear your school sweatshirt or whatever, you're cheering for the home team. Um, it, it, it's neat, neat. And then it's part of the community, right? So you have, people who live in Utica that are Utica hockey fans, Utica football fans, Utica athletic fans, um, which is, which is really cool. Right. Like you go around town and um, our players are like, yeah, I'm, I'm at Hannaford's getting, you know, groceries. <laughs> people are like, are you so-and-so from the, the Utica women's hockey team? So it's a kind of a neat environment. Um, it definitely has a big school athletic feel here um, in a smaller town, um, you know, but it's a, it's it's also you know a great place academically, obviously with the balance of a wonderful sports environment and a wonderful uh, academic environment. All right, so last non-hockey question. So how did you end up being the golf coach on top of the the women's ice hockey coach? Yeah, like I think my third year or something here, like they were doing second duties and they they gave me golf and. Uh, so I coached just our men's golf team for a handful of years. We did okay. It was nothing special. Um, and then we had another, I think it's a faculty member wanted, really wanted it. And I was happy to not have the extra responsibility. Um, and then that, that faculty member stepped away. I want to say like seven, eight years ago. Um, and the athletic director asked if we would take it back and add women's. Um, so I'm doing it along with um, 
our uh, our soccer coach kind of we work together on it i'll i'll do the the heavy lifting in the fall and he does the heavy lifting in the spring because it's a split season um but yeah so it's um it's just been a lot of fun right like it, it's neat you go from hockey where I, you know i'm not gonna lie put a little bit of pressure on ourselves to be successful um to the golf world where you know <laughs> sometimes they, hey we just gotta finish all 18 holes today right like that's the goal um but we've won a couple league championships here. Like, I think we won 2000, 2001. We were Empire Eight champions in, in men's golf. Our women won a tournament yesterday, so um, which was nice. It was the first one in a couple years. But um, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm this great golf coach. Um, I know a little bit about it. I've played it. I was a low handicapper at one point in time. But um, kids in youth sports have eaten up some of my my weekend golf time. So, um, so I haven't played much recently and certainly wouldn't wouldn't declare myself much of a golfer at this point but um it's just a lot of fun it gets me out so yesterday you know sit on a golf course in a golf cart um cheering on the, the guys and the girls out there on the course but um you know and that that'll wrap up the fall wraps up usually the the second weekend in october and then we go right into hockey on monday and then when hockey's over wait for the 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 ice to melt and uh, we start playing golf so Perfect. So now let's talk about the uh, some of the hockey facilities for for the hockey programs. So uh, you mentioned the Utica University Nexus Center. So uh, sounds like it's pretty brand new. Um, and there's a big event coming up uh, next spring at the location. Maybe just talk about some of the facilities and and how they're going to be used. Yeah. So for years we played in the Adirondack Bank Center. Um, you know, formerly known as the Utica Memorial Auditorium. Um, which was the home of the Utica Devils in the 90s. I think it was built for the Clinton Comets like in the 60s or like right around 1960, the Mog Valley Stars. So there's been pro hockey here in this town for a long time. Um, that was kind of what people latched onto. It actually left um, pro hockey kind of right as we started hockey here with the college. We kind of moved into that building and became the hockey attraction, so to speak, in Utica, um, which was great. Um, obviously, the HL's back, but it's a 4,000-seat arena, arena, the Adirondack Bank Center. Um, it's state-of-the-art with video boards, everything you could possibly imagine. Um, super exciting building to play in. Um, certainly has has a pro hockey feel when you're in there. I know it's it's regularly ranked, like, worldwide as one of the best spectator arenas um, in, in the world, obviously. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's not a bad, I mean, it's 4,000 seats and there's not a bad one. Like they are like on top of the ice surface. Um, it's a great building, um, concerts and everything. I think, uh, I know I was at a Toby Keith concert there like two summers ago. Um, so they get some pretty good and Dirk Bentley a few years back. So they get some good concerts in there as well, uh, in the summertime. Um, and then kind of since COVID, it was kind of an ongoing thing, but they, they built an extension off of that with three additional sheets. One of the ones is the one you can kind of see right behind you right now, um, which is uh, which is our home ice for the women now. So our, our women moved in November. We started playing some games over there. We mo moved full-time into the Nexus Center, um, the Utica University Nexus Center in uh, January. Um, and it's got a gorgeous facility for our players. We've got offices and changing rooms for our coaches, training rooms, a huge players lounge, a dry room, a locker room, all um, all for our kids in here. Um, they love it. Um, and, you know, it's a nice rink. And again, we started playing here in November. Um, I think we're still undefeated here in this building, which is neat um, to be able to kind of have that going. Um, certainly no pressure on us. I think our schedule out of the gate is pretty tough with our opening tournament this year. Um, 
to keep that going. But uh, but yeah, it's just it's an amazing facility. Two thousand seats again, video boards, uh, some luxury suites. Uh, it's it's a nice nice spot to play your play your home games, and then to be one of the few teams that kind of has a dedicated women's rink. So our men and the AHL team will play right in the Adirondack Bank Center, all all connected. Right, you can walk right back and forth between the two. Um, and then our, our women kind of have the, this this facility themselves. So we get to be the Friday night game at 7 o'clock every, every week and Saturday at 2. Um, so it's kind of like the prime time for hockey and we get to play. We never have to work around anyone else's schedule or, or bump other people from, from the schedule for us. So it's, it's a really, really amazing situation for our players. And uh, the next spring you're going to be hosting a major women's event. Uh, you want to share what's going on there? Yeah, in April, we've got uh, the Women's Worlds are coming. So that'll be exciting. Um, Ten best national team programs from uh, from around the world here, uh, U.S., Canada, et cetera. Um, we're, I mean, it's an exciting, it's going to be exciting. I think it's, I think it's 10 days. I know it's 31 games in total. It starts on a Friday and ends on a Sunday. Uh, but with a full week in between, um, it'll be fun. I mean, it's just an opportunity, one, to showcase our facility and, and have, you know, the best coaches in the, in the country, you know, here, right. Every major division one program will have their staffs here. Um, every international program will be here. Um, it's a chance to kind of Utica to put its, its, its best foot forward and, and show off what we have for the world. Um, and on, and, and to kind of host that is, is exciting. I mean, it's not every day you get to, to have one national team or one national team game in your barn, but to have, um, to have the whole world here is going to be, it's going to be fantastic. That's awesome. All right. So talking about uh, having the most successful women come and play for you, let's talk about the success of your team. Um, so you've made the playoffs, I believe, 21 out of 22 seasons. So what's been the key to having such a consistently, you know, um, successful program over the years? Yeah, I think, you know, I think Utica University sells itself. Um, so we, we've been able to kind of attract students and, just from the academic programs and, and then the athletic opportunity. Um, we have been able to kind of start to sell the building that we're in right now. Um, a few years back, so kind of like, I want to say like our ju our senior class maybe was the first class that was hearing about it during the recruiting process. That created a lot of excitement. Um, and, and you can kind of see, you know, we've always been a pretty successful program, certainly competitive um, with the best teams in the country. But I think this year, you know, the last couple of years, we've been 20 plus win seasons um, with the program and nationally ranked. Um, I think that has a lot to do with with what we have um, and and having a great culture. Kids come in, they see see what's here. So we've been able to recruit some great athletes um, and and kind of put them out there and let them go and do their thing. And and they've they've been uh, they've been representing Utica University really well. And um, you were, uh, as you can see over your shoulder, you uh, you won the UCH, the uh, coach of the year uh, last season. How have you been able to, um, how have you been able to um, can continue to become a better coach after 20 plus years? I think you, I think you have to grow every day in life. I mean, I think that's a general thing, right? Um, I, I learn every day. Being in this building has been amazing. I, I certainly kind of laugh at times. Um you know, the coach that I was 20 years ago, right? That trying to make it up as you go along, figure it out. But uh, you kind of learn and you grow. Um, I've, I've certainly had the opportunity to be influenced by some pretty great coaches that have been here in the building 
uh, watching what Kevin Deneen does right now with, with the Utica Comets, um, you know, and, and Trent Cull before him, who's now in the NHL and, and being able to, Travis Green used to sit in my office, I think almost as much as I did when he was here um, and, and pick his brain and talk hockey. He was, he was an absolute, you know, rink rat hockey junkie, wanted to be successful, no stone unturned in, in development. So, um, and just learned, for folks to know that Travis was the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks for a period of time. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think prior to, prior to that, obviously, you know, you're, you're picking brains with, with Gary Heenan, who's very, very successful with our men's program, uh, here and, and was a classmate of mine at Hamilton. Um, so yeah, so I think we just have, uh, a really neat hockey community here. The building's run by a former NHLer in Rob Esch, who we talked goaltending quite a bit over the years. And, um, yeah, so I think there's there's a there's a lot here, a lot of opportunity in our rink just to develop, and and obviously I think you know with age comes a little bit of wisdom. You maybe lose a little bit of your your energy level, right? I'm a little less intense I think now than I once was, but I, I think it's in a good way, and um, you know I enjoy I enjoy the players that we have. I enjoy the teaching. I enjoy watching them grow over four years. You know, I I, I always laugh at our freshmen a little bit, and they're their desire to get really, really good in two weeks um, and, and trying to explain that, hey, this is the process. You're, you're, you're not going to be um, where our seniors are in two weeks. It, it takes it takes you time to get there. Um, and we've always been kind of upperclassmen driven program here with our older players are better than our younger players. And that's just, I think, a tribute to the development that they get in our program here. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and so now I don't want to pick at a scab, but um, last year you did really well, but um, Nazareth College seemed to be your nemesis. Um, and, and unfortunately, in your last few games, you lost them three times in overtime, all of them in overtime. So I'm wondering what you're going to do this year so that you're, you're, you're going to come up uh, on top in those overtime games against, uh, you know, in those playoff games against the top teams. Yeah, I think that those were – I mean, I think if you had a chance to watch those three games last year, you, you would say, wow, you know, these these are could-go-any-way type games between us, two really strong programs. Um, I know that we lost twice in overtime on, on power play goals, um, which was tough, and then once in a shootout. Um, you know, and, and, and like I said, they're great, they great programs, great teams. Um, you know, we're – we're kind of, you know, trending, I think, in the right direction as a program. Um, we've got a lot of returners this year. Um, so, you know, if, if things hold hold to form, we're getting better. Maybe this is our year. The other thing that would be nice is that we'll get to play them in, the, in that rink over your shoulder this year a couple of times, where last year we had to go out and, and play them all three of those games. So the way our schedules work, you play everybody twice, but it's either home or away. You don't get a shot at, at everybody at home. And, you know, last year we didn't get a shot at them here in our building. This year we do, um, which will be nice. Um, our league is deeper, though, than just Nazareth and Utica. I, I think, you know, we've got some really, really good programs. Manhattanville is always a power. Um, you know, I think that uh, Dave Labatt at Wilkes is doing a great job. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, Michael Grady and, and Chatham has, has, has kind of risen from a very, very long tenure of, of a floundering program to – they're they're strong and, and they could beat anybody on any day and um, so it's an exciting league um, that we're in right now the UCHC I think it's a league that if you're a strong program you want to be in right now I know 
I know a little bit, I, I, I'm not a big part of it, but I know from an administrative standpoint, we've got applicants to the league right now, teams that want to get in here um, that are good, that make the league better, which is an exciting thing for our future. Um, we just added on the men's side a couple. And so I think they're, they're going to continue to look and see, see what's out there. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it, it's uh, just got to keep getting better. And I think everybody else is getting better. Women's hockey on the whole is getting better. Um, you know, the, the lopsided games become fewer and fewer and fewer, um, which is a good thing. Um, I think for a long time, you know, people were able to recruit just on their success and, um, you know, that, that meant you had some really strong programs. And, but right now I think there's a lot of good facilities, a lot of good schools and a lot of good players and a lot of opportunity for kids to have a lot of fun at, at the next level, the collegiate level, playing hockey in, in a really competitive environment. Gotcha. Okay, so now let's transition a little bit into the recruiting side of things. So if you're a player or a student athlete, um, why would you choose Division Three? Yeah, I, you know, it's it's a it's a great question. And it's one that, you know, not just as a coach I'm dealing with, but as a parent, I, you know, I'm, I'm having those conversations with my my own children. So um, and not just, you know, not just in hockey, right? My oldest son is a baseball player. He's a fantastic pitcher, a really good ball player. Um, and he's had division one conversations, division two conversations. Um, but he's also had some injuries along the way and some struggles. Uh, so he's, he's probably going to pick a division three school. I know he's got a couple in the mix. He's got a couple division twos. He's still considering, but I think he's excited about the opportunity to go, to be able to compete right away and play. Um, and also have that balance of, Hey, I can really focus on academics and he wants to be an engineer. So, um, to be able to do that and, and be able to prioritize that uh, as opposed to the athletics and having to, you know, continue to earn your scholarship every day. Um, you know, just, it's attractive to him. Um, and, and, and I think that in hockey, you know, the same thing can fall in. There's also only 44 division one programs out there. It's highly competitive to get in the door there. It's highly competitive once you get there. Um, and certainly the best, best players in the world, like they're going to end up there. But um, I think when you look, like you, you look over the last five, 10 years, every year you're going to see some, some bottom half division three programs have been playing top half or sorry, bot, bottom half division one programs playing some top half division three programs. And be surprised to see that some of those division three programs are not only winning, but, but winning pretty big. And that's just because some kids are like, Hey, I could go and play at this division one program. Or I could go and play at this division three program and compete for a league championship, compete for a national championship, be able to prioritize that academics instead of having to play 34 games, we play 25 games. Um, you know, being able to have an extra three or four weeks of just being a college student at the beginning of the year. I think those are some really attractive things um, about Division three is perspective, being the person I am, loving sports, you know, having the opportunity in September to watch some, some of the college football games, right, and being part of that environment on a Saturday afternoon as opposed to having to be at the rink because you're playing. Um, it, it, it just can create a, a better experience. Um, at the same time, like, competitive hockey um, and competitive football and it's competitive baseball, wherever you are, whatever the sport may be, lacrosse. Um, sometimes the opportunity, you know, you may be a great two-sport athlete to do that at Division Three. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I think a lot of people put a lot of time and effort into a number, right? You know, D1, D3, um, which is just that. It's just a, like, it's a number. And it doesn't mean a ton when you're done. It doesn't mean a ton 
you know, it's, it's great for clicks and Instagram when you can put up that I committed to wherever, but the end, you got to deal with that decision for four years. Don't, don't make a decision because of an Instagram post opportunity, make a decision because it's what's best for you. It's what you want to do. It's, it's, it's going to be a good four year experience and it's going to set you up for life because even the best players and I, and I have a story and it's talking to a friend of mine who was playing the NHL for 16 years and he was coaching at the time. Um, and, you know, pitching and complaining a little bit about coaching at that point. And I was like, well, why, why are you doing it? Why wouldn't you just retire and go have fun? And he's like, I worked, played 16 years in the NHL and I made $14 million and the government took seven of it and I spent three and a half of it. And, you know, what's left is great. And we, my wife and I and our kids, we could live in a ranch house somewhere in the Midwest and try not to spend much money, but there wouldn't be much for vacations and luxuries and whatnot if I didn't work. So it doesn't matter, right? There's a professional women's hockey league. Nobody's going to make enough money doing that to retire when their playing careers are over and not have to keep working. Um, so you go to college and think about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. That's got to be a focus. I don't care whether you're the best athlete on your team or not. That's not going to pay the bills. It's not going to make your life great when you're 30 and 40 years old. What's going to make your life great is being prepared for the world after your four years of college. Nice, nice. I like that uh, that holistic answer. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. So just for the education of of our our audience, um, how is the D three recruiting cycle different than than the D one recruiting cycle? And when do you start approaching players? Um, you know, what's the timeline? You know, working backwards from you know when they actually started school. Yeah, I think this is a good conversation piece. And I'm going to start off by maybe throwing you a little bit of a curveball. And I don't think there's one set recruiting timeline for anybody. You look at all the division ones. Yes, they all have the June 15th opening date, but different schools are committing kids in different windows, right? There's a little, little bit of pecking order at the division one level, right? Like your top top couple of teams, your top scholarship teams, they're they're getting their kids committed earlier and, you know, and and – I think the process is still taking a little bit of time with, with those guys. You're, you know, you're still, you don't hear a lot of commitments anymore before Labor Day. There are a few, but it's just not, not a ton. So September is a big commitment window um, at the division one level on September, really through February of junior years is, is a big window um, there for us. You know, we're really trying to start recruiting juniors in January. That's kind of our window. I just, I know from experience with my own child that some division threes are starting a little bit earlier, but with division ones, that's kind of the window is, you know, the June 15th. And I think it really runs through February and March um, of what our kids junior years, that is where all the heavy lifting gets done. There are still kids and you're still hearing about kids committing, um, you know, through the spring and into the fall. It's not as much, I think it'll change. Um, with the 25 class, because I think coaches right now, if they have a need late, instead of saying, all right, well, we'll just, we'll commit a senior in high school for next year. They're just kind of holding out and waiting to see what's in the transfer portal to see if they can fix them, fill that need um, that way. Um, and then I think because of that and, and kids not getting kind of, even though they're not maybe not getting as much conversations or as much traction with division one schools by spring of their junior year. They're a little bit more excited to make moves 
in division three. And I think that that kind of is the window where division three is kind of run January, February of your junior year, right through until I think, again, a lot of the, the commitments are done by, you know, mid November, December one um, of junior years with a lot of them coming through the summer and early fall of senior year. And then again, the process will continue and trickle out uh, into the spring. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is is with recruits and my conversation with my kids and everybody else's kids is like, don't put yourself on a clock if you don't have to. Um, enjoy the process. Like you're shopping, right? No need, to, no no need to to buy the first you know the first thing you see. Um, it's all gonna work out. Um, that's I think everybody's fear is if I don't commit today like my my friend on my team is already committed and I'm not committed and oh no what's wrong with me their process is their process and your process is your process um you know take your time you're picking the right school for you it's not a competition this is you know and I, and I think that, that people get lost in that as well um you know it's about finding the right fit um everybody has a passion um everybody's got an academic program you got to find the right fit take your time and prioritize the school piece, not not the athletic piece. Yeah, so actually related to that, when we had uh, Chris Baudo, the head coach of Nazareth, on, on the podcast, episode 60, uh, he mentioned that when a player decides they're going to go Division three, the number one thing they look for is the school, like the academics, what is it that they're going to study, and then figuring out, you know, do they have a hockey team kind of a thing. What's your perspective on that of, you know, once once the decision has been made by the student athlete that they're going to go D3, how, how, how it's different versus D1 in terms of their decision making? Yeah, I mean, I think the big, you know, big differences would be academically, you know, you're, you're, you want to make sure that's the right fit. Um, I think a lot of kids, especially like hockey kids, your commitment level at in hockey is, is pretty high. So a lot of kids will say, this is what I want to study, but then they, they narrow down their schools based on, you know, schools that have what they want academically and an opportunity to play hockey. And then that, that kind of gives you a window of schools to look at or, um, you know, uh, this is the academic type of school I want, right? I want liberal arts or I want, um, whatever it may be, right? Uh, comprehensive or, or whatever. So, um, so that, I mean, that's the process. I think ultimately it's, it's applying, it's depositing, um, you know, in division one, there's, you know, commitment letters and, and scholarship conversations, division three, you're filling out FAFSA and looking at merit scholarships, which come from your application um and and making financial decisions that way um we have celebratory signing letters in division three which are great and and whatnot but they're they're not really commitment letters um because you can change your mind afterwards um without any you know athletic repercussions which is certainly i'm not in favor of um of the academic or athletic repercussions you know i think kids should be able to pick the schools they want to go to and and i know just a, a portal conversation, which is for, you know, we can have that one if you want. But, um, yeah, I think I think the power should be with the student athlete, not with the coaches. Um, if the program's not the right program, you should go somewhere else where you're going to be happy. It's, you get you get four years to play. I got to do this forever. We should both be happy, you know. Yeah. Uh, and we haven't had a ton of kids leave. Um, we've had a ton come in. Um, it is what it is, you know, I, I think. You gotta you gotta be honest in what you sell, um, but 
anyway, so the process kind of getting back to your question is division three is, is a little different in that, you know, you don't have the commitment letters. You've got to, you got to apply and, and figure out financial aid and that can be a factor and what's the right fit. And there's a How lot does of financial people. aid work. How does financial aid work? I mean, schools, obviously, most schools, I mean, obviously you have some state schools where they might not have need-based financial aid. This is the price you can qualify for merit aid. You have private schools where, for the most part, um, need-based financial aid um, and merit scholarships kind of go together and give you a financial aid package and end up with a cost of attendance. But you'll fill out FAFSA, and, and FAFSA will provide all the private schools you're looking at you ask them to. Um, with, with some financial information on you, biggest piece is kind of the, it's called estimated family contribution. Um, that number kind of tells the schools, Hey, they, this family can afford this amount. You've got to charge them at least that much. You can't, you can't go under. And then schools will do what they do. And everybody has a different formula or process for, for meeting need, um, financial aid need. Um, and that's that's a part of the process I think for kids is to figure out what schools are going to give them, you know, the best, the best package. Again, people talk, talk a little bit with colleges nowadays about return on investment, which I think is an important conversation. Am I going to get out of my four years um, value for what I'm, I'm paying to go to school? Um, and that's, you know, I think that's a, that's a new modern thing. And, and I think it's an important thing. College is expensive. You got to go with a purpose. Um, so, I mean, I, it's, it's definitely, it's an, an interesting kind of conversation there as well, but, um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a big piece, right? Financial aid. You've got a kid, right? It's going to be a big piece, right? Uh, we, we'll see where it all ends up. So, uh, um, okay. So, uh, last couple of questions. Um, so in order to be. To, to come to Utica, they need to get an offer. So uh, from the, if they want to play hockey there. So what is it that you look for when you're recruiting? Yeah. I mean, for us, um, you know, certainly we, we look at character. That's a big piece for us. Um, we look at uh, two, two big athletic pieces for us is, is we want kids who can skate and have some hockey IQ. And if we, we feel like if you have those two pieces, um, you're going to fit in really well here. Um and then, you know, it's division three. So not everybody's going to be perfect. We're, we're kind of, you know, what can we swap in and out for talents and, and pieces, you know, so occasionally we'll have a kid who's maybe not the greatest skater, but she's a goal scorer or has some, some, some great touch around the net, um, but has the IQ piece, right. Or, um, you know, maybe we have a kid who's a division one skill set, you know, but doesn't have the IQ. So we, we can, can we work with that? Yeah, but not, the whole team full of kids that don't have a lot of IQ. Um, so it, it's, it's a process. And then we're trying to fit some pieces in, like, this is what we're losing. This is what we need, we need to get. Um, you know, I think for us, we kind of try to recruit at a level where we know we're going to have to compete in recruiting with other schools um, that are at a high level. Um, so, you know, we know that not every kid we go after, we're going to, we're going to get. Um, and so that, that creates a, um, a little bit of a tricky piece because we're always recruiting a couple more kids than we than we need, knowing that it's not always going to work out. For us, we have been knock on wood, um, pretty successful in retaining our student athletes here. Um, I know at some places, you know, hey, we bring in, you know, ten kids every year because we know they're not all going to make it. Um, so 
those are all factors people have to look at. What's your retention? What do you expect to, to, to bring back from this year's team? And what are you going to bring in? Um, it's kind of a juggling act, going to be honest with you, for, for everyone in Division Three, I think Division One is a little easier. They really work on their spots and their scholarships. And we got this much money this year, so we that's all we can give out. And you know, put people a little bit more on clocks, I think, than some of the Division Threes, although I think some Division Threes are, are working on an offer and a, and a time window um, situation, which which never used to be the case and, and, and boggles my mind as a dad a little bit. Um, but I understand it. I get it. I, I get what people are trying to do. Gotcha. So let's let's talk about the, the dad piece just for one last question related to it, which is, which is more stressful, coaching a women's hockey team or being a goalie parent? Oh, goalie dad, for sure. Um, I love talking about my kids. Um, I love talking about their youth sports. So this could be a three-hour podcast at this point. Um, you know, I, I definitely, um, with my daughter, I try to try to keep a distance from her and her career just because um, it's hers. It's not mine. And I like being her dad, not her hockey coach. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I much, much prefer, like, I went to her game on Sunday against your daughter. And um, it's hard. It's stressful watching, right, you know. Um, I much, much prefer like when I have a conflict and I cannot watch and then I'm able to go back and watch it on live bar knowing what the score is going to be. So I'm mentally prepared um, because definitely like, you know, you want everybody cheers for their kids. You want success. I mean, I, you know, I cheer for my favorite pro sports teams, my favorite college teams. Um, but you do, you want it so bad for your kids um, that you can taste it. And it, it definitely gets, it gets stressful when, you know, they're not at their best and, and uh, you know, they want it or, um, you know, but uh, it, listen, like it, it, without question, I would rather be coaching and distracted by the coaching and involved in the outcome and the process than just a helpless bystander Um which is what what you are when it's when it's your kids on the ice, especially the goalies, right? Because they never them. That's the successful one. It's always, you know, no matter how many saves they make, if they don't win, uh, I should have made one more. It's tough. Yeah, the the, the just the the number of goalie parents parents who uh, express their their stress to me, or I see it, uh, you know, during the games. It's 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 just I couldn't. That, that's something that's uh, beyond what I, I'd be able to handle. All right, last question. What advice do you have for uh, student-athletes as they uh, go through the recruiting process and they're exploring both D3 and D1 opportunities? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is is don't, and I mentioned it earlier, is don't get, don't get wrapped up in the click info. Don't get wrapped up in other people's processes. Trust, trust yourself. You know, what is it that I want? You know, really think about, what it would be like to be in different places. Um, you know, do you want do you want the division one pressures? Do you want the division three lifestyle? Not that the hockey's not high pressure, not that it's not, not competitive, but there's there's differences. Um, you know, what do you want your college experience to be like? What do you want your life experience to be like after college? Do your own search, do your own process. Don't be influenced by where your friends are going to school. Don't be influenced by, you know, the level of, of play or where kids that are from your program have been committing in the past. Use your coaches um, to help you. Um, use your guidance counselors. Use your parents. Um, but it's your process, and you have to take ownership for it yourself. 
Um, you got to do your own emails. Don't have mom write your emails to your coaches for you. Um, you know, and, and uh, just really, uh, you know, like I said, trust the process, but but take some ownership for that because you're really trying to figure out what is in your best interest of what are the options that are out there for you. Um, not what, you know, like, you know, you hear the horror stories of, of club coaches saying, Hey, you got to go take this, this walk on spot at this school. That's the best opportunity for you at division one, where you're going to be the 25th kid on a roster. Um, because they want to be able to say, we sent so many kids division one last year, as opposed to, um, you know, what might be the best spot for you, which might be a really good academic school in division three, where you're going to have a lot of success. Um, you know, what's best for me, not, not what looks best on paper, not what looks best on Instagram. Um, what's going to look best for me when I'm 23 years old and dealing with the real world. And I'm, I'm now, um, no longer, uh, an athlete, right. Um, what sets me up. Perfect. All right, Dave, I want to thank you so much for uh, sharing all your knowledge, uh, talking about your uh, experiences as a coach and 20-plus uh, years at Utica, and then obviously going into more detail about the women's program, everything that's coming up with the World Championship. And uh, obviously, thank you for sharing all your insights about recruiting and also uh, being a hockey parent. So thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. I really want to thank Dave for coming on the podcast. It was great to learn about his multi-sport coaching career and having him share his perspective on how to manage your own recruiting journey. You can connect with him on the team website or his Champs app profile. Links to both are in the show notes.